Welcome to this edition of The Mighty. We are right on the eve of the midterm election, so there is no one else that we'd rather speak to right now at the Midas Touch podcast than Joe Trippi, a veteran Democratic political consultant. He's been doing this for about 40 years, beginning with Edward Kennedy's 1980 presidential campaign. Of course, he ran both Howard Dean's presidential campaign and Doug Jones' 2017 upset Senate win in Alabama. He also hosts that Trippy Show podcast, which I love, and he is also a member of the Lincoln Project, working to build a pro-democracy coalition. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Oh, man, it's great to be with you guys, particularly on the eve of this election, how important it all is. So no one knows more about this stuff than you. That's why <laughs> I needed you on this one for my own sanity to make sense of it. And I'm very, you know, data driven. Mm -hmm. And I know you are as well looking not just at the media hype and what they're saying, right. but what's really going on. So what do you see right now going into Tuesday? Well, what we all know, it's super, super close uh, tomorrow. It's going to I mean, every single action that everybody's taking uh, in these last 24 uh, is going to be imperative. I mean, these races are going to be very tight. I think I think there's a couple of things so that we can take uh, from what we do know about all the data. Um, and that is, look, with inflation, with gas prices, uh, with um, uh, Biden's approval uh, being where it is, uh, none of these races should be close. In other words, going back through all the years that I've been involved in a midterm with those kinds of numbers, um, you would expect a, a, the kind of uh, wave that we saw in in 2010, where Obama, after Obamacare, we lost 63 seats. Um, uh, you know th that's what this should be. It's clearly not, and um, I think that it is uh, the extremism, the mega cult candidates, candidates, the uh, election denier uh, candidates out there. I mean, there, there's a there, there's a countervailing force that is making people understand this is not a referendum on administration. It's a choice the country needs to make. Um, and if that were not true, if that choice election were not true, then then we wouldn't be in it. And that's just reality. Um, and so that means uh, that tomorrow is all about, at this point, turnout. It's all about do the doors get knocked? Can we? And this is something um, I think the pro-democracy coalition that we've all been building is much more adept at election day, get out the vote. Uh, the Republicans have to sort of count on whoever decides to get up that tomorrow morning and, and go vote. We th th this is one of the interesting things. Um, when you look at uh, this whole question, you were the, they're, they're talking about like there's a, a four or five point differential on interest in the race where Republicans are 68% very interested and Democrats are 64% or 63%. First of all, that number is basically the same number in, mm -hmm. in terms of polling. But second of all, I guarantee you there are people out there, this isn't, there are people out there uh, in, in the pro-democracy base who do not know today do not know today as we speak that tomorrow they're going to get a knock on their door and someone pleading with them and making the case that they've got to vote and they will. 
In other words, that they 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 don't know that they're vote right now. They were asking in the poll. Oh yeah, I I kind of remember it's elections coming up, but I don't know. Tomorrow, our voters and we're very very good at it. The pro democracy coalition at knocking on the doors and getting people out. And you know what? That wasn't something we had in 2022 because of COVID, and I think it really hurt us. Um, so one of the things that makes me think there's going to be a a, a a real difference that everybody can make is that is that tomorrow. Uh, if we all get out there uh, and, and knock the doors, make the calls, uh, and these campaigns are set up to do that, uh, and you guys have been talking this, we've all been working on this stuff. So I think that's that's a difference maker in races that are, look, all of them are one or two points. Let's like sure. face it. So it could go either way, but we have a, a big ability tomorrow to influence it. You know, and, and maybe you can talk through, it must be so unique to you in the past, a lot of the early voting and making early voting easier was a Republican concept because they would turn out early voters. Right. And a lot of the laws about early voting and making it easier to vote early actually come from Republican legislators who were trying to make that easier. And so you look at these 2018 early vote numbers versus now and it is kind of night and day. I mean, from your perspective, though, in those past elections where you would see Republicans running up the score before the election and now it's the opposite. How do you how do you react to that with that difference? Because I think you'd rather start with the lead than with it having <laughs> well, to rely on one day. But Ben, you know, it's you you make a great point, but it's not even just that. I mean, when you look at the, the numbers, something like 20 percent of uh, voters in 2020 uh, voted uh, uh, on election day. Uh, so the vast majority voted uh, uh, early. Uh, and ag again, I think that was COVID related, right? Mm -hmm. and including why Democrats. Um, this year, this year, it's um, with Democrats, it's 34% have voted early, uh, are, are, right now are saying in polls that they're going to vote early. I mean, they're, they're going to vote on election day. Excuse me. I've got this all turned up in my head because it's so backwards, like like Ben was saying. <laughs> but so what I'm saying is we're seeing a early vote that rivals 2018. But also more Democrats saying they're going to vote on election day, almost double 14 points more saying they're going to vote on election day than than did so in 2020. So both things are happening. We're building up a lead. Uh, and some of the the pundits out there go, well, but it doesn't look quite as big an early vote as it was, you know, in the past. But yeah, that's because like a huge chunk of people are saying, you know what, COVID doesn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. I want to vote in in person. That's it's so it's that important to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what I what I get when you look at. I understand. You know, the Republicans dumping all these Republican polls and and revving up the big red wave is coming. But all the data, actually, when you look at the like how many people say they're going to vote on Election Day, how many people are voting early um, and the advantages we we have now. Uh, and I think on both those scores, plus campaigns and and organizations out there um, uh, to galvanize volunteers to be knocking on doors and actually add to that number of people who who don't even know they're going to be voting on election day but but hopefully 
uh, you know, the pleading at the doors will, will even increase that number. I really like our chances, um, uh, particularly it'd be one thing if they had five point leads in some of these places, even the places where they do lead by one or two points. I think we can make that up. So uh, I always feel on a day like today when I was running the campaign um, that it was it was the hardest time uh, to be the campaign manager because basically everything's on autopilot except for all those volunteers that are out there. And so I became one of them. I just, you know, screw it. It's what am I going to do? Sit here. Uh, even if you spin to press calls all day long, that's all you do. You're not making a difference. The pre- those stories aren't going to be written until it's it's too late. So no, it's a, uh, I think there are going to be a lot of people in these campaigns that are getting, that are going to be, you know, they were raising money, uh, making finance calls. And now it's like, hey, you're not fundraising anymore. You're getting on the phone. You're calling voters because that's how close this is going to be. You know, one of the currents that I always feel that the pro-democracy coalition is running against is obviously, on the one hand, it's a given, the kind of pro-fascist cult Trump media Fox and and all of and all of that. But really, the both sides media as well. And you referenced Republicans flooding the zone with those polls. But it's kind of just obvious to me when you look at it that they're that they're doing it. <laughs> yeah, they're doing it because the media writes about it and then elevates these polls to a stature that they that they shouldn't have where the data and again, who knows what happens on election day. We hope that the Democrats who say they're showing up show up. We hope anything can happen, but you follow the data, it tells a different story. And so what do you make right now of the evolution of the media, which frankly gave birth, I think, to groups like Midas Touch, groups like Lincoln Project, groups like other people who need to fill the void. But how did you see that going when you would run in the Howard Dean campaign, for example, or even the Edward Kennedy work that you did to what we have in 2022? Oh, it's light and day. I mean, it's night and day. You you got uh, a a, uh, uh, what's what's fascinating. I don't know if you saw the Philip Bump uh, piece in the Washington Post where he he tracked how crime became the issue, uh, and uh, and he, a great chart uh, where in September crime was nowhere. It was nowhere, folks. It yeah. wasn't an issue. No one was talking about it. All of a sudden, Fox starts doing crime, crime, crime. They're coming to get you. They're going to get you. You know, stop the crime, crime, crime. And and then it, right at the same time, candidate Republican candidates started running crime commercials and talking about uh, and, and screaming crime, crime, crime. And guess what? Two weeks later, CNN and MSNBC both started covering the Republicans talking about crime as an issue, and it became and it grew. Um, It just shows you how the outrage machine um, that the right has built over decades actually controls the national dialogue and agenda. and it's why I, you know, thank, uh, you know, thank you for the Midas uh, touch, you know, for for the whole thing. I mean, this is all a Lincoln Project, et cetera. But we need to build a counter to that outrage machine. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and like you said, you're trying, we're trying, we're all doing it. It's not just trying, it's being effective. Millions of people are signing up. But but as a 
that's why I started talking about building a pro-democracy coalition, because this isn't Lincoln Project or, or Midas Touch, right, left. It's none of that. It's all of us who who put our oars in the water and start to build a pro-democracy coalition to take on the enemies of democracy um, and start to control uh, or have an impact on the messaging. Because right now, that's all theirs. They they have it. We're we're literally it's a fire hose versus some squirt guns. And I'm just being you know as 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 amazing work that you you've done. We got to build a the, that platform in a way that that brings more and more eyeballs and ears uh, and door knockers to the cause of understanding that democracy is on the ballot. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I that's why I'm glad that the president gave that speech uh, the other night, um, trying to make that clear, because I think there are, uh, I see in focus groups, that there are a lot of people who, yeah, they think inflation's bad, but they think the right MAGA cult is nuts. And so in that, there it's what I call cross-pressure. You see it a lot uh, in, when you're running a campaign. There are people who both care about inflation and care about Dobbs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. There are women who care. And, and and by the way, I think there are a hell of a lot of Democrats who care about inflation. They're glad Democrats are doing something about it. So they can say, yes, inflation's my my biggest concern, but they, they don't mean that you know, I'm I'm going to vote against the uh, Democrats. They actually think Democrats are the only ones who who did. It. So it's my biggest concern, and I'm voting for Democrats. Uh, it's not like that. Those everybody who's concerned about inflation is is lockstep, got no other pressure or no other concerns, or isn't a Democrat who understands what what um, the infrastructure bill uh, and some of the other you know the, the lowering of insulin, you know, capping insulin costs, Medicare, negotiating drug prices, all those things. There are people out there who understand inflation is the number one answer, number one problem, and Democrats are doing something about it. The press keeps reporting it as inflation's high, therefore the Democrats are dead. And then you, then you, the the right wing outrage machine starts pumping mm-hmm. polls out that are like cooked. I mean, they're, they're so ridiculous, most of them, uh, or or their methodology is so suspect. Uh, and you can tell when they're flooding four or five of them over a three day period, and it's oh geez, and then. Um, uh, you, you know, 538 or somebody, you know, puts out their average, which includes those damn polls. And suddenly it mm-hmm. starts to look like uh, exactly their mantra that, you know, the red wave is growing out there. Well, um, look, I I still believe with all the um, data I've seen, early vote, late, latest polling, that, that Democrats will hold the Senate. Um, I don't know that we'll gain. I hope so. Uh, so there's there's two sides of Joe Trippy here. Okay. There's the data driven <laughs> guy who says, look, I think we're going it, to, maybe it's 50 50 with Kamala still breaking the tie. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think even the data driven guy thinks, hey, it might be a one seat pickup for Democrats. Okay. Then the hope side takes over if I go higher than that. Right. I mean, but I think we hold it or, 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 or gain one. I'd like to see a Mike Franken uh, or somebody or, or a Sherry Beasley surprise us all. Uh, and the world and, and, you know, gain another, you know, gain mm-hmm. another notch or two or Tim Ryan. Uh, but some of those are tough, but I think one of them is, po- that's what I'm saying. When you look at Tim Ryan, Sherry Beasley, Mike Franken, I wouldn't be stunned at all if one of those surprises us, not all three, but if one of them does. So that's sort of my read uh, on the Senate. 
my read on the house is, you know, again, the realist in me um, says that when you look at the numbers and, and the number of the percentage of all the toss-ups we'd have to win to hold the house, um, that if we held it, it'd be by a seat, maybe two or three. And, and, uh, and there's a little bit of hope in there too. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest about it because when you get really down to it, it looks more like eight to, to 15 to me that we'll lose, uh, that they'll, the Republicans will take the, the house by. I, I, the one caveat on that um, is that they are all toss-ups. Um, again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. These are all seats that are within a point. Um, they're a toss-up for a reason. 27 of the 32 toss-ups have an election denier as the Republican nominee, mm. a mega election. So this, is, this gets back to that cross-pressure. How do people go in there um, in those 27 of the 32 toss-up seats um, and and do they break away from that mega cult? I mean, I'm talking about the two or three points here who who could who could move at this point, um, or or you know it, it, how that breaks could still, in my view, uh, give us a chance to hold the house. But in any case, every one of those 32 seats is a dead heat, and what you do tomorrow, if you're in one of them, uh, or if you got time to call or, or volunteer. Uh, can make a big difference. And Joe, you're so right. By every historical context and metric, you know, this should honestly be a, a blowout um, right. going against Democrats. The fact that we're even in this as close as we are should speak volumes. Now, that's not good enough. If y'all listen to this, you have to get off your butts and go out there and vote and get your friends to vote. We have to win. But I'm just, I just want to put that out there. By every historical context, this yeah. shouldn't even be a contest right now. No, no, it shouldn't at all. And I think the one thing that the big question mark is when you look at early vote and those who intend to vote is is the, uh, uh, the youth vote. Um, mm. You know, if if young voters turn out, younger voters turn out, the 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 met the the, the way the metrics all work, it'll be a disaster for Republicans. It'll change all these numbers um, because all the pollsters are are showing numbers pretty low um uh for that turnout now there you know tom bonnier and others who've looked at that data uh say they see signs of that group being even more energized to vote in person because COVID's not i mean again, again a lot of us are doing things that we couldn't do uh you know in person with, with when COVID was around that cohort looks like he he thinks is going to turn out on election day, uh, but we got to make sure it does. So we have to make sure that uh, uh, that everybody gets the message out there um, uh, that tomorrow's that important. That you've got to got to make the effort. You got to go, and that's the one the one demographic I'm a little worried about, uh, mm -hmm. or there's a question about because of the the different kind of signs there are both in the polling and and the early vote. It's going to definitely be interesting uh, to figure out what happens with the youth vote. Uh, yeah. It does look promising, but we'll find out. I want to come back to this, but I, I quickly want to pivot to to media and specifically new media because I just feel like you're the perfect person to ask about this. Like I, I just feel like overwhelmingly the American people have come to the understanding now that social media is just such a, a powerful player in our elections for good or for bad. It's just it, its right. influence on public thought. Is, it just can't be ignored anymore. So like how important do you think the role of social media is in our elections? 
Well, I, look, I think it's it's now become the most important um, impactor uh, or medium that uh, a campaign and, and what we all do, what Midas Touch does in terms of using uh, uh, and being digitally uh, out there uh, and moving people. I think the problem is that most of the consultants in both parties um, still spend way too much and way too much time on broad- broadcast ads and cable ads uh, to the detriment of not putting enough resources and enough time um, into social media and, and digital. Um, and and I do not understand it. I mean, look, we're in an election where, let's like face it, all these races are within a point and 95% have made up their mind. I mean, you're looking at races that are 46 to 44, you know, wow. 47 to 47, right? Okay. Do we really believe that a trillion more points on television, of which, by the way, so you're talking to the choir on both sides with that ad, yeah. Um, it, it, which means if you 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 can you know so that's one, but you're spending all that money to try to get to the five percent that might actually, you, you know, might actually move or stay home or something. And wait a minute, so we know that the people who are for us but are uh, are less likely. Uh, or at least signs of it are younger. Why not? Instead of trying to blast millions and millions and millions of dollars in a, you know, in this Senate race television, why wouldn't we be targeting every one of those younger voters on digital with compelling messaging um, geared towards what we've done, student loans, whatever? Yes. Instead, of, you're not going to run a student loan ad for millions of dollars on on television because. The, the the 95 95 you know it's not going to have an impact however you you can target every single uh uh person out there within an age group or 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 you know in other ways to 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 cut it up and go right at them with things that we've actually done and and the threat to what the republicans uh could do and seniors on medicare care and mm-hmm. social security i mean there's just different ways to use that medium um, and to get the messages to people. Uh, and yes, even seniors now got, you know, I mean, it's like, you got to explain to, to consultants that like, no, no, they actually have smartphones too. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's crazy given that I helped pioneer this stuff in, you know, 2003, 2004 with Howard Dean. Uh, and then, and then, and now watch, and we're still, still, I thought, okay, you know, but they'll get it. And there are campaigns that, that get it, but we're still sitting here in 2022 and you still see millions and millions and millions of dollars plowing away in a medium that um, that, ju- that, that one has lost medium. impact. And yet, not only that, it's a, it's a it's a it's not just a dying medium, but it's like diminishing returns. I mean, after you've gotten your mess, it, you know, you beating people over the head a thousand times versus nine hundred times isn't you know with the same message. If it's not working, if it's not hitting. It ain't it, it you know that you don't get more if you let's do it two thousand times. It doesn't make exactly. sense. But, but there are groups that you can see in your targeting, you know, uh, uh, that you can say, "Gosh, we could we could run a very specific message to people who are, we know will be predominantly within that group, 
and they care about this. And we we and we're not saying it on tell. I mean, we it's just too much money to run all those different ads, but you can do it in digital and make a huge difference. And by the way, look at look at what we saw. So you got no in these in Georgia last time. I mean, you know, Biden winning Georgia by fourteen thousand votes. You know, I mean, these are digital. You can move forty thousand votes by by really going after like 100,000, 200,000 people with targeted digital, really repetition, making sure they're getting the message, following up with them, actually engaging with them and making a, a you, you know, and building a connection. There's no connection on TV. Come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I started the Dean campaign because I was so ticked off at television being a one-way medium where, yeah, I get to tell you how great I am, but you can't tell me anything. So that's why digital so is so important because you can engage. And you know who's better than that than anybody? Unfortunately, Donald Trump, hmm. right? I mean, that's what he was doing with Twitter. He was actually digitally engaging with millions of his followers and you know, and and building that connection, sure. And I don't think we've seen that since maybe Obama, um, on our side. You know, in, 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 in you know, in, you know, ten years ago, right? Twelve years ago now, in two thousand eight. So, uh, and then I just don't know what happened. We we I I think, uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, when a a new generation of campaign managers, which I think is happening right now you know the the, the uh are you know come come to four who are actually uh have come to age in the digital age and understand that it's a stronger medium and a more effective um than than the old broadcast television that we continue to waste millions of dollars on 1000% you've said so many sharp things in, in that brief period of time that I really want to dig into but I I want to lean more into the social media and the impact of how powerful it can really be. So in 2016, for example, when when Trump won, you know, the the saying had become, you know, the left can't meme. Well, I don't think that was the case. I just think that we were playing a different game and we weren't playing the game correctly. So now you see the evolution of how we are all targeting social media via TikTok or YouTube or Twitter and using all the forces for good and seeing what can happen when we do that, i.e. 2020. And so as we approach these elections, too, I just think... You know, when we look at a digital or or paid media strategy, we can't any longer think of, like it's it's 2010 or or before where right. paid media means just TV media because that's yeah. that's insane. Paid media means you know it could be some you know um, television media and television buys. I think they need to be choiceful and and, and quite specific because you're also speaking to a very different audience. Yeah. I think the younger generation for the most part and actually generations as a whole have become cord cutters to a, to a big extent. Yeah. And so, no. you know, I, do you think uh there is a natural balance between sort of digital media and how it plays with, you know, traditional television media? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you have to be on every platform. You can't be it, it's like saying, well, we're going to do broadcast, but or it's even saying we're going to be on Twitter, but we're not going to be on TikTok. I mean, right. you know, it's that's crazy. You know, it's got yeah. uh no, and it and it does involve paid. That's what I'm saying. They don't take enough of the budget and pour it into paid digital or social media promotion of the message. Uh, a lot of campaigns. Um, I think there, there. Like I said, there's some. I think I thought Fetterman was actually uh, has been pretty g- good on on the social media stuff. I don't know what their spend is yet on, mm. on digital uh, versus broadcast. Um, but there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, first of all. It's where they outflanked us. 
they they and that's what I meant by Trump being, you know, yeah. engaging on social um, in a way that, um, uh, you know, we did it in 2004 that way with our blog for America. But one day I woke up and Twitter was was Donald Trump's blog for America. It was his it was like literally a platform. We had to build ours and get six hundred and fifty thousand people on it um, uh, and engage with them. Uh, it was it, the platform was sitting there. And he, and by the way, you know, Democrats could have taken uh, advantage of that, too. But did, I mean, candidates could have, um, but didn't. Uh, and I think, you know, that's one of the things I wrote when I wrote my book. Um, I said that back then and uh, when it came out, uh, you know, in several decades, you know, like 10, almost 20 years ago now, but a long time that the technology doesn't it's powerful as all hell. Um, and social media was going to be powerful as all get out, but that the problem is the medium and the technology does not know. It's just got no, it doesn't know who's using it, good or bad or, or, or ideology or anything. It's, it's powerful for whoever decides to, to build it and, and use it. And it turned out, I think the Democrats learned after Howard Dean that, uh, oh, you can really raise money online. And that was like the big lesson. Uh, I think, uh, be, be, you, you know, uh, uh, for them and Republicans learn, learned, I think, a deeper lesson about that, uh, about how to use it uh, to, as you said, create memes, connect, uh, build a build a digital army out there and grow it. And, and Trump really did that well. Mm -hmm. um, and and so we got way behind. Right. And uh, and now we're playing catch up on something we should have been we should have owned it given it been where a we years of it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Some you for geeking out with me right there on the social digital strategy. Um, thank you. I really I really I really want to talk to you about that specifically. No, no, um, no. I, it's been something. Hell, look, guys, I went into I literally was like starting to kick myself was like this. So I helped launch this. The blog for you know the, everything that we did are the way we connected deeply with our 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 uh, our volunteers and supporters in two thousand three two thousand four the Dean campaign, and then when I realized, like, and I thought by the way that I was helping to build this thing that would bring us all together as Americans that we could form a community and actually um, uh, share ideas and and. Uh, man, this would be the greatest thing, you know, the utopian side uh, and never saw the dy uh, even though I warned about the dystopia that could come because it doesn't know the ideology. I, I I never really believed that that could happen in the way it has. And when I woke up that day and realized, holy crap, Donald Trump is the first guy to actually get that connection. And he's doing it and not only that the press and everybody's like you know flint you know, you know uh uh waving it on uh giving uh giving it oxygen i i was like really severely depressed i mean i got that that this is my that i that that i did anything to help that occur and i literally blamed my like i i got that despondent about it um that it, that it just something I never saw coming, and that I couldn't believe that that 
what the Dean campaign, what several of us started back then or was hoping for that back then had gone so wrong um, with Donald Trump and, and the MAGA cults and Steve Bannon and all their use of it. Um, and, you know, I, I still think that's the thing, I think, long term mm-hmm. that uh, we've got this isn't going to go away. Uh, Trump's getting back in the race for president. Right. Uh, Axios is reporting he's getting in on uh, November 14th. And I CNN reported today that, that they're hearing two to three weeks from now, but that he's definitely getting in. Uh, even if we defeat him in 2024, um, even if he's indicted and in jail and and running from jail, saying that, uh, uh, you know, it's it, uh, it's all the dark, the deep state coming out to get him and stop preventing him from being president again. It's not going away. Right. This this authoritarian uh, uh, cult that now owns the Republican Party is is not leaving. And we have to get better, perfect, you know, build a digital army, a pro-democracy coalition, a a media platform that takes on their disinfo uh, and and um, and and fights with them to win the dialogue that right now they they win every time because the outrage machine is so easily able to co-opt the the, the mainstream media that does the both sidesism mm-hmm. um, without calling out the truth. Um, so we got to do that. It's such an excellent point that you make there, too, with Trump. Someone had asked me the other day, hey, are you, are you most concerned about Donald Trump in 2024? And it's like, no, Trump is a person, but Trumpism and this MAGA movement is something that is now so ingrained in the culture in the United States with a fraction, not a fraction, but a segment of the population here, that that is what I'm most concerned about, yep. this everlasting effect of Trumpism and MAGAism, if you will. But moving on to a much more light topic here, I guess if we could call it light. We just need more of a rallying cry, I guess. As we <laughs> head into tomorrow, what is your message to the doom and gloom Democrats or just doom and gloom pro-democracy warriors out there who have been discouraged by maybe a poll that they've seen? And now they're thinking, like, why should I even vote? What is your message to them? Leave no stone unturned. Knock on every door. Fight to the end and make sure that that everybody that you have a plan to vote that everybody you know has a plan to vote do not give up or look the biggest thing that i've learned um because i didn't know a whole lot about authoritarianism it wasn't something i'd actually focused on it during my political career that might be a surprise to you but it's the truth but the biggest thing i've learned is that authoritarian movements count on exhausting their opponents uh they count on, and you can see actually Putin doing this in Ukraine, right? It's all, it's just exhaust, 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 keep pushing until you give in um, and you're too exhausted to do it. Um, what I say to people is you got to resist that when you feel that way. Um, you got to realize there is a community out there that you're part of at Midas Touch, Lincoln Project, that cares deeply about this democracy and saving it, that we can rise up together and it will take several cycles to kill this. Uh, uh, it And and it may never, I mean, there may be, a, make it smaller and smaller, but we'll, it will always be there. It was always there in this country. We just didn't see it. Um, it was hidden. 
Um, but now it's out in the open. And this is about what country you want to be, what what you want to pass on, um, uh, what and, and what you're willing to fight for. And damn it, we've got I'm I'm old. I'm still fighting. <laughs> you know, so go out and fight. Make sure you get knock those doors, do anything you can to help people uh get the message and vote tomorrow. Uh, and, and let's win this damn thing. Let's win this damn thing. I think we can. I think the data is hopeful. Yeah. But in addition to being hopeful, we gotta we gotta go out and we gotta vote. It's just that simple, folks. And so great to have you on this episode of the Mighty as we approach Election Day. Joe Trippy, a true honor, a friend of the pod, a friend of Midas Touch. We thank you for everything you do. No, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Go Mighty. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right. Gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com.